Curry, and please stand with me as we get ready to worship and praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, just before we get to, into worship, I want to testify real quick. Welcome here, every single one of you wonderful people to our service. My name is Pastor Berto. I just want to share a quick testimony. God's faithfulness, God's goodness, and God's promises. Amen. Come on, if anybody, I love testi- I love testimonies. If you have a testimony in your life, say amen. Amen. If you like sharing testimonies, say praise the Lord. Amen. Because we're about ready to get praise the Lord Jesus because he's faithful. And a great way to get excited about God's faithfulness, testify. Amen. You know, out of many testimonies that I have, I just want to share one specifically. I was preaching to a co-worker of mine a couple years ago. Uh, he was a sales manager at the gym I was training at. And... This man will curse me out. He will turn his face at me, and he will not want to hear me preaching to him. But something in my gut told me to always preach to him. And this is the, this is this is how good God is, His faithfulness. That about a year later, I found out that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Today, he's a youth pastor at his church. So right there, it shows that God is faithful, and that God's word does not return void. And also. That his word is like a double-edged sword. If you're struggling and you just want to see people get saved, if you're, you know, getting discouraged through an evangelism or even yourself, you don't see God's word sharpening your heart or, you know, you know, affecting your lives. Like, man, I've been speaking God's promises, but I don't see God doing anything. I don't see any change. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not thinking differently. Well, let me encourage you with this word right here. It says, if on Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 to 11, and it reads, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray and get ready to worship the Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, we give you glory, Lord. God, that your word is, is alive and effective, God, in this in this service this morning, God, you're going to do something in our hearts through the word that's going to be preached. So right now, Father, we thank you so much and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's taste and see the goodness of God this morning as we get ready to worship. Amen, 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 amen. Y'all ready for worship in this place? Come on. This first song is called Come Taste and See That the Lord is Good. And this morning, I want everybody in this place, come on, look to your neighbor and say, he means you. Come on, point at him. It's okay if you point in church. Hello. Come and taste and see that the Lord is God. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, God's presence is here. Amen. We don't have to, like, beg him. He's here already. (laughs) Amen. So we're just going to praise him. Amen. Come on, just stick your hands up in the air. Holy Ghost, stick up. Come on. God, even now, we just receive of your goodness. God, we come to you. Hallelujah. Chance together. Let me sing it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord. Come on, sing it again. Oh, taste. Oh, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. 
Sing it again, oh taste. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. You turn, you turn my morning into dancing. Put off my rags and clothe me with gladness, and I will rise and I will pray and I'll sing and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, and I will give thanks to you forever. Oh Lord, my God, and I will give thanks to you. And oh Lord, my God, and I will give thanks to you forever. My God, and I will give thanks to you. single taste. Oh, taste and see. Come on. That the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see. That the Lord. Come sing it again. Oh, taste. Oh, taste and see now. That the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord. Come on, sing you turn. You turn my morning into dancing. Put off my rags and clothe me with gladness. And I will rise and I will pray. And I'll sing and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you forever, oh Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you, oh Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you forever, oh Lord, my God. And I will sing your mercies. Oh, your mercy will be remembered forever. 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 Your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy. Oh, come on, say thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. My God. And I will give thanks to you forever, oh Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you, oh Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you forever, oh Lord, my God. And I will go sing your mercies. Your mercy will be remembered forever. Your mercy will be 
Remember forever your mercy, your mercy, Lord, on our lives. Remember forever your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy. Come on, how many of us have the mercy of the Lord in our life? Your mercy will be. Go sing it again. Oh, your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy will be. Remember forever your mercy Oh, come on, thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, Lord, my God, and I will give thanks to you forever. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you. Oh, sing it again. Oh, Lord. My God, I will give thanks to you forever. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you. As we sing this song, I just can't help but think of how good God has been. Not just back in the past couple days, but just in my life. And and even when we sing the part, your mercies will be remembered forever. And you know what comes to my mind? And Some of us may have families and some of us have children. I don't, but this is what the Lord puts in my mind. He puts it to Adam, when you came to me, man, I take care of you. My mercy came into your life. I did for you what no one else could. I forgave you of your sin. Now when you look forward and what I have for you, your families will remember it. Your children would go up and they'll know me. And my mercies, they'll be remembered to your children's children, to them, and so forth. And I remember how good God is to find me in my weakest time. Come on. To find you in your darkest hour. Can we sing that church again? Your mercies will be remembered forever. God, your mercies will be remembered forever. Come on and lift your hands this morning. We sing to you, Lord. And I will give thanks to you forever. Oh, Lord, my God. And I will give thanks to you. Come sing your mercies. Your mercies will be remembered forever. 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 Your mercies will be. 
Your mercies will be remembered forever. Oh, come on, every voice. Just come on and thank him. Say, thank you, Lord. Remembered forever. Thank you, Lord. 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 Come on, sing it from your heart this morning. Thank you, Lord. 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 Come on, give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Church, he's good. He's good. Come on. God, you're such a good God. God, we just enjoy your presence in this place. Come on. Come on, I speak to every mind and every heart chained right now. Every heart and mind that is chained, every demonic oppression over people's hearts and minds. God, we break it off in Jesus' name. Come on, I don't know what it is, but I just want to pray that this morning, demonic strongholds, demonic oppressions over people's minds, in Jesus' name. Come on, church. There is a way to Jesus. Come on. There is a way to the Father. Come on. We break it off in Jesus' name. We enjoy your presence, Lord. We enjoy your spirit, God. We enjoy you, Lord. And I love, and I love. And I love your presence. And I love, and I love. And I love, and I love, and I love you, Jesus. I love, and I love, and I love your presence. Sing it again, I love. And I love. 
Go! Cool. 
presence in this place. We feel your presence in this place. Ora namaso. Ora namase. We feel your presence, Lord. Presence of your Holy Spirit. Ora namase. Namaso. Ora namase. Namaso. Come, just sing a song in the spirit to you, to you. Come, Spirit this morning, just come and share with the body. freedom in this place. Just lift your hands up right now. Come on. You can't earn your way to freedom. You can't earn your way to grace. Jesus died on the cross. Lord, we come to you in repentance right now. Our actions have kept us bound, but we come to you right now. Come on, lift your hands in this place. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Come on. There's freedom in this place. Come on, if you're going to be free, might as well go all the way. We're free of you, Lord. Oh, come fill our hearts right now. Holy Spirit with the fire. Come send your fire, Lord. Oh, every impurity in our hearts. Father, Lord, come fill us up, come fill us up, oh, we need you, Lord, we need your freedom, God, your people, come on, your people cry out, Lord. Spirit 
Father, this morning we want your love. We want no substitutes, no cheap substitute for the love of God this morning. Friends, if you're hungry for the love of God, if you know nothing else in this world can satisfy your weary soul, cry out to him, cry out for his love. Say, God, fill me up. Fill me up, God. All I want is your love. I was made for your love. Somebody call out to him. of his love and I just think of that analogy we go to the club you know looking for love those dimly lit you know with the strobe lights and the loud music and we're looking for love over there and we'll spend hours over there right I want us to spend some time in the presence of Jesus looking for his love and people have their drinks at the club we're going to have a drink this morning amen come on if you could turn with me your Bibles, if you have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As our ushers pass, and if someone can bring me the cup as well. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says this, for what? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he goes on to talk about people who take this, these elements of communion in an unworthy manner. They do it with bad hearts, bad motives, and a bad spirit. But this morning, I want you to be sure that God loves you, that you can have a pure heart this morning before God, that you can have communion with God, not on the basis of your works, 
but on the basis of what Jesus already did for you. Everybody take these cups. If you have your family here, you could take this with your family. If you're here with maybe a friend and, and you want to help them, you can do that. Or if you're by yourself, you could take it on your own. I want everybody to take this and know that and have confidence that God wants to commune with them. This wafer representing the body of Christ broken for us. And I'm just showing this to you. I want you to take this in your own time. This is between you and God. This is not between you and me. This is not part of a religious service. This is part of you being with Jesus. And then the cup, the wine, or the grape juice, rather, that, that symbolizes his blood shed for us. So take the next, take the next minute and just meditate on what Jesus did for you. Thank him that because of what he did, you can have a clean heart. Thank him that he loves you. And if there's anything in your life that's mispleasing to God, that you just get that out before you even take it. Just allow him to forgive you of that and to change you. Take the next few moments with your families or Remember this morning that if you're experiencing God's love and your life is changing and you're experiencing freedom, it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his body and his blood. And he gave it for you. Father, we thank you for giving your son. God, when I think of you giving your son, how committed you are to saving us. God, I don't have any question that you love us this morning because you already gave your son for us. How committed. Lord, you are all the way in, and I pray that we would be all the way in with you this morning. In the name of Jesus, thank you for the giving of your son. Thank you, God, that we can have communion with you. Thank you, God, that we can remember this, Lord. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said... God is good. God loves us. Amen. My name is Pastor Jared, one of the uh, elders here at MPI. It's good to see you all this morning. We want to take a time out, as always, to preach the gospel. And that is to give an invitation to, to those of you who don't know the Lord. Some of you don't know Jesus. Some of you are still living in sin. And some of you are not going to heaven. We want to preach a message to you from God that will change your situation. God's mercy and grace will enter your life and you'll be a new person from this day forward if you heed these words. Amen?
Let's turn to James chapter 4 in our Bibles. James 4:13. I've entitled this message, What is Your Lie? Someone say that with me. What is your lie? We all need to answer that question for ourselves. Let's see what James the Apostle had to say. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is evil. Or or he sins, rather. And so James is addressing folks who arrogantly go about their life as if it was their own. How many know that that, uh, you're not promised tomorrow? We often say that in evangelism, but people live with this Superman mentality that I'm going to die someday, maybe 30, 40, 50 years from now, but that's not today. And between today and someday, we live as though we're invincible. And we live as though we're going to have the chance at some deathbed repentance. We can make it right with God. We push it off one month from now, three months from now, six months from now. And we say, when I get these things right, then I'll do it. And he's saying you shouldn't live like that. He was talking about people making money and and, and just carrying on their business as if there was no God. I'll worry about God later. I'll deal with God later. I have plenty of time. Listen, I have a cousin, and she's been battling breast cancer for a year and a half. She's been through the chemo. She's had a double vasectomy. And she, unlike most people, is really coming to grips with death, with entering into eternity, and wanting to be prepared for that voyage. Most of us don't think in those terms. Most of us have not been confronted with that. But I want to ask you today, whether you're terminally ill or whatever your situation, you're in perfect health, if you were to die today, would God accept you into heaven? Or would he condemn you to hell for your life of sin? We ask you that because we love you. We ask you that because we love you. James closes out and he says in verse 17, if we know the good we ought to do and we don't do it, we sin. And you know the good you ought to do this morning. You need to heed the words of this preacher and you need to give your all to Jesus and stop playing games with God. If you claim to believe in Jesus, you need to give your all to Jesus. What does faith in Jesus look like? Complete surrender to him. If you know the good you ought to do, and maybe you've heard messages like this before. Maybe you've been to church services. Maybe you watch Christian television shows and radio broadcasts before. And you heard the message and you knew the good you ought to have done even then. And you keep putting it off. Don't wait another day. If I were you and I were in my sin, I wouldn't waste another second in it. I would repent of it immediately. I would drop it. Let's all stand. God is offering you today. The Bible says today. If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. Because you might not have tomorrow. Well, today is all we have. It says elsewhere, today is the day of salvation. Because God's calling today, but who knows? Will you be listening tomorrow? Will you be around tomorrow? God is offering salvation and love, free love, and a relationship with himself. Freely. It costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. Every every 
head bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that if anybody in this room, anybody listening to this message this morning is not right with you, if they're living a life of sin, if they're playing games with you, if they're not doing the good they ought, they know they ought to do and, the, and they're playing with you, God, I pray they make it right today. I pray they don't wait until tomorrow. I pray that nobody in this room will have to die in their sin. I pray for you to be patient with every one of us and give us opportunities and give us a soft heart. But God, let us take this opportunity to come to you, to be forgiven, to receive Jesus and to receive your love freely. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we want to recite our confession of faith. And this could be the first step. Do the good you know you ought to do, right? Believe this with all your heart. This is strictly a biblically based creed worldview. And we say it as a church. And we're going to fellowship in a moment. David and Griselda, they'll pray for you so that you can make it right with God today. Amen. But let's say this confession together at the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe a united church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them you love them. If you need to make it right with God, that's your first stop. David and Griselda, bless you.
you a kind favor, begin to make your way back to your seat. Hallelujah. It's good to see everyone here, all the smiles. Hey, what's going on? I love it. I love it. See, don't you get the feeling when you come to Metro Praise International Sunday morning that we're family? Amen. Some of y'all get that. I, I, let me tell you a little bit about my family. Um, it's Mexican and Puerto Rican, and, and the Puerto Rican side is generally typically loud. The Mexican side, they always, you know, they, they just chill, okay? So, so remember when we have, like, these family gatherings, and the whole family will get together. I mean, you're kissing everybody. There's people there you have never seen. You don't even know that like, they're my family. I don't know. And when every time we're done with worship and the gospel presentation goes out, people go on like, hey, it reminds me of family. That's literally what it does, and that's what exactly it is. It's God's family, God's people coming together, amen? So even if they're not church cousins and not your family you can still love on them my man welcome this morning every sunday morning metro praise international 10 a.m we have sunday services here getting in the presence of god hearing the word what god has for us amen that's important amen can we get a loud amen because god is important in our lives some of you are like, amen, I guess so. No, 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 God is important, amen. 10 a.m. every Sunday, every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., we have a ministry unto children. If you're 11, from 1 to 10 years old, rather, bring your children out. It's a ministry unto them to teach them the word of God, have some cool, fun activities. There are leaders here, responsible leaders that love to pour in to your children, amen. And every Friday at 7 p.m., we have Elevate. Man, this past uh, Friday... Uh, we have a testimony really quickly. We just made an altar call like, man, who wants to give their life to Jesus? And we had about 12 students come leave their seats and say, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. Some have never been here. Some of their first time. And it's just like, my gosh. And afterwards, I'm going to tell you, we started praying for the parents. Because a lot of the young people that come in here, their parents are not coming to church or not saved. Or maybe they're the first generation of believers. And it's rough. And, man, God moved. Amen. So if you know any young person, encourage them. If you're a parent in this place, encourage them. And then also, if you know any young people not coming to church, invite them out every Friday at 7.30. Amen. Hallelujah. We just got some cool announcements. Sidewalk counseling is Saturday, March 9th. Amen. We're going to meet here at 9 a.m. for prayer. Come before the Lord and say, God, use us. We don't want to go over there and just start yelling at people in our flesh. But God, use us in the spirit to bring your grace and truth. Amen. And then we're going to go out and hit the streets, 10 a.m. I'm telling you, you have no idea how powerful God is until you meet someone on the streets and you just give them Jesus. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit use you and their lives will be changed. I mean, there's some awesome testimonies that are coming. It's being led out by Pastor Jared. He's the one to give the announcements or rather um, the gospel presentation. Amen. Let's give a hand clap of praise for Pastor Jared and the ministry he's doing. Amen. Moving on here, our vision and Metro Praise International. Loving God and loving people. Some of y'all can say the announcements from this point on with your eyes closed, and you can do the exact same thing. We're going to say it every Friday, or every Friday, every Sunday. Our vision to love God, to love people, disciple you. We connect you to Jesus. Cool ways we do that. It's not just coming to church all the time. Hey, let's go meet in our house. Let's go fellowship. Let's one-on-one. -on -one. Let's develop. Let's grow. Amen. We mentor you to be like Jesus, and then we send you out. And our goal here, we believe it is 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in Chicago with 500 across the world. If you believe God could do it, come on, shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. I love this. Amen. If you guys can do me the kind favor, open up your Bibles to Acts 20, and we'll start in verse 32. As we prepare to receive our tithes and offering, another quick uh, announcement I want to share with you, just an update. 
Uh, last week, Pastor Joe went to the Wicker Park campus and he shared that the Wicker Park campus will be transitioning with the Reese Park campus coming April. And then the lease is coming up, and we feel this is the best time to transition. If you want more information, there's a blog on this entire thing. You can go on the Facebook. You can go on our website. Next week, Pastor Joe will be coming up and sharing more about this and sharing of all the exciting things happening in 2013. Amen. Come on, are you guys there with me in Acts chapter 20? We'll start in verse 32. Amen. As we prepare to receive our tithes and offering, it says it like this. I'm reading it from the ESV. It says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is Paul speaking to the, to the elders of the Ephesians, uh, the, the church in Ephesus. Uh, verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know yourselves that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard, somebody say working hard. Working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Every Friday we read this out to our youth and we teach them, man, you know what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul was talking to the church here and he's saying, listen, we're working hard and we do all things unto so we can help people. Amen. Metro Praise International is the exact same way. We come together. We're not money hungry. We say, man, we're going to build a giant church. No, we're not doing that. What we give, we sow into people's lives and to the missions and what God is doing here. Amen. So if you believe God has brought you here and God can use you through your finances, through your serving, through your, through your dedication and being a disciple, come on, would you join with us and believe God for greater things. Amen. Just pray with us as we stand. You want to come to your feet? We're going to pray. Ways you can do that. Pray. Pray. Ask God, how can I be a blessing to my church? I don't think anybody has wrong intentions. Like, God, I want to cause so many problems in that church. <laughs> Who says that? Nobody. But many times that can happen. But as we come to the Lord, we're just saying, God, use me. God, check my heart. Check my mind. God, check everything in my life. I leave no thing, God, that you can't touch. Even my finances. Even my family. Even my children. Hello? Let's prepare. Come on, let's pray. Father, we just come before you. You are a good father. When we read, God, it, it always says you are a good father unto us. So, God, help us understand that this morning. But also, Father, I pray for your children. You would bless us, God, and you would open up opportunities of, of finances, God. And even, Father, I pray for families in this place, God. Because, Father, we know that finances aren't going to solve any problems, but it's your son, Jesus Christ, your presence. And so we just ask, God, as we incorporate all this, God, that you would bless this church so that we can continue being a blessing to your children, to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's read this out. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, come on up as you give. Amen.
Oh, praise God. Good to see everybody here. Would you open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8 as we leave this up here? I want to just welcome you today because we're going to be talking this whole month about discovering your purpose. Everybody say, discover my purpose. Amen. Open up to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I want to encourage you today to understand your purpose. The definition of purpose is real simple. It's the reason or the application of a thing. So the purpose of a hammer, the reason of a hammer is to hammer nails. That's its purpose. The application of a hammer is to hammer nails. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. So purpose is an application of a thing or the intent of a thing. If you try to use a hammer to screw in a screw into a wall, you won't be able to do it. If you tried to use the back of the hammer where you would pull out the nail and you tried to use that to be a screw, how many know it would keep slipping and it would keep hurting you? When you don't have the proper purpose for a thing, it will ruin what you're trying to do with it. Right, is everybody tracking with me right here? So I'm going to be talking about purpose this whole month. So I want you to come. I want you to find people in your life that need to discover their purpose. Bring them here. I want you to bring people who don't think they have a purpose here. And those who you may think are on the wrong purpose, bring them here. So basically everybody that breathes and lives and has a heartbeat, you bring them here. Amen? Because we're going to discover our purpose. And what does the word discover mean? Simply means to find. So everybody say this with me. I'm going to find God's intention and plan for my life. So you're going to discover, you're going to find God's intent, the application of your life, the plan that God has for you. Now, I don't know about you, but most owner manuals I get for things go directly into the drawer. I never look at them until something breaks. And then when something breaks, I try to go through that junk drawer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, those junk drawers? And you try to find that manual and try to fix it. You know what the Bible can stand for? Basic instruction before leaving earth. Most people take their instruction manual, the Bible, put it on the shelf, and only go to it when something is broken in their life. Are you all tracking with me right here? But we need to be proactive. That means now we need to get out the Bible. We need to look at our lives, study through the instruction manual, and apply it so that things don't break, so that things don't malfunction. Are you all tracking with me? So this whole month, we're going to talk about discovering your purpose, doing it now. Some of you are single. We want to teach you about discovering your purpose, about being married and having a family, because you need to go to the instruction manual now. If as you're dating, if you're not looking at the person you're dating with the lens through the filter of this is going to be my spouse, my mother or father to my children, then you're not dating the right way because you're not dating with the right plan, the right intent, the right purpose. So you will hurt yourself and you will hurt others. Are you all tracking with me? And it's the same thing about those of you here that are already married and you're already having kids. You don't wait for the kids to drop out of high school, do drugs, and do something crazy to then show up at the pastor and say, counsel me. No, do it right now. Start putting the plan, the instruction manual, into your family. So we're going to talk about, you know, singles and how it's going to be like to get married and married families, uh, you know, having the right kind of family. And then for all of us here, discovering our purpose on our job because God made us with gifts and talents. Does anybody here have a gift or a talent? 
Everybody here has gifts and talents. Look at your neighbor and just tell them one thing you're good at. Come on, don't be shy. What are you good at? What are you good at? Now look to your your other neighbor and tell them something else. Look to your other neighbor and then now tell them something. Come on. What are you good at? I I just want to get a couple feedback right here. Real quick, what are you good at? I'm good at playing instruments. Playing instruments right here. What are you good at, senora? She doesn't want to be. I know what you're good at, building stuff. Yes, sir. Construction. (laughs) What are you good at, brother? Listening. Listen, it's a good listener right here. What are you good at? Making scrambled eggs. Making scrambled eggs. You're weird. What are you good at? Cleaning. All right, cleaning. What are you good at? Shy? Being shy? We get a couple ladies right here. What are you good at, sister? I'm a massage therapist. Massage therapist. Hey, what are you good at? Loving. Loving, raising her family. Isn't that awesome? Give yourselves a hand clap. You're blessed. You are all blessed. All of us have these gifts and abilities, but we got to know the purpose for that. What is our purpose with these gifts and abilities? If you find out what your passion is, you're going to find that in that passion, God created you for a purpose. I'm going to say that again. If you find what your passion is and you ask God, why did you give me this passion? He's going to say, because I want you to have a purpose with that passion. See, when I was growing up, I had a passion to talk all the time. All I wanted to do is talk. So guess what my purpose is? To talk a lot. Here I am, right? And it's the same thing. If you like fixing things, God wants you to find your purpose fixing things. If you like helping others, God wants you to do that. I mean, don't you want to go to a hospital where nurses have a passion to help people? You don't want to be there when some nurse shows up. What are you doing here? You're sick again. What's wrong with you? We take your temperature, you sicky poo. No. You want some nurse in there treating you like that? You want a nurse that has a passion for helping people. So they found their purpose in being a nurse by helping people. We have to understand that God gave us those passions. See, the world wants us to think that God is against our passions. And I'll use an example like Katy Perry, you know, such a famous musician right now. Do you know that she was brought up in the church with pastors as parents? And she was taught to use that gift for God. But somewhere along the line, and I don't want to judge her because I don't know her personally, but there's a biography that I was watching. You know, the Christian music scene kind of stinks. And it didn't really give her that opportunity. And at that time, she got discouraged. She heard about another way to do it. And then they created and crafted her to be who you know now as Katy Perry. But that was really never who she was. And it was almost like the devil came and said, I know you're passionate about singing, but God's people won't receive your passion. So let me change you and make you like me so the world will receive your passion. And see what happened is she lost her purpose. She still has her passion. She's a great singer. She knows how to really get out there and move a crowd. But because her passion is not connected to God, she's not in her purpose. And so now she is destroying herself. And we're looking at her life. You know, she had a bad relationship. She's already dabbling with the wrong crowd. Her parents are looking out for her right now. And they're believing God that Katy Perry will sing in the church again, maybe like a Kim Walker. Can we hear an amen to that? 
And of course, that's a famous example. But look at our lives and, and look at your life. How were you doing when God was not involved? I mean, be honest with yourself. With my ability to talk, what did I find myself doing? Selling drugs. That's where it took me. Now, you might say, Pastor, I, uh, I'm a lot better than that. You know, I went to college, and I, and I sell Lexuses, or I, I sell products. But you know what? Me selling drugs and you selling those products are no different. We were telling people whatever they wanted to hear, and it was for our own greed. I'm not saying all salespeople are like this. I'm saying without Christ, sales to me was just a way for me to get whatever I wanted. But now, through Christ, I can use my ability to talk to people, to help convince them, but now not of drugs, but of the Bible. And if I was in a secular job and I was selling cars or clothes or some type of product, I would find a purpose in that product, and I would help them by realizing if they get that product, they'll be better off because I wouldn't want to work for a company if I didn't believe in their product. Are you tracking with me? But look at your own life. What happened when you took God out the picture? How did your purpose get tainted? How did it get messed up? Maybe you took God out of dating and look at what happened. Maybe you took God out of raising your family and look at what's going on. Maybe you took God out of the pursuit of your career and you're doing something just either to make money or to get by, but you don't like being there at all because you're not doing what God told you to do. God wants you today to get into your purpose and to have passion about it. And so today, as we get into this message, I want you to see that God, this is going to be awesome, you're going to learn an attribute today of God, is he's omniscient, all-knowing. Everybody say omniscient means all-knowing. I taught my kids the three main attributes of God, and I want to teach them to you today. And it's going to be really cool, okay? Say this with me. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere, and he's all-powerful. Those are the three main attributes of God, though there are so many more. Let's do it again. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere, and he's all-powerful. Make your muscles. He is all-powerful. What you're going to learn about today is that God knows everything about you. He knew you before you even existed, and here's the part that will blow your mind. He knows the end of you. You might want to check in with him every now and then. I'm going to say this again. He knew you before your mom and dad had a twinkle in their eye and rocked the boat all night long. He knew you before then. He, he knows you right now, and he knows the day you will be, your body will be in a grave, loved ones will be staring over, and he knows whether you'll be in heaven or hell. That's an awesome God we serve. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of the most popular passages of the scriptures. This is going to be our theme for this month, and as we get into it, I want you to be encouraged and challenged at the same time. You may hear some, some things that are just going to encourage you. You're going to be like, Pastor, I didn't know that. that. That makes me want to smile, and it's okay to smile in church. But there may be other things that you'll hear, and you'll go, oh, Pastor, that's, that's tough. And that's where we get that saying, it's tight, but it's right. Okay, so just get ready for both sides here. It's like your proteins and your carbohydrates. You're going to get a full diet today. Chapter 8, verse 28, Paul writing. He says, and we know, everybody say, we know. Thank you. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Would you put up that scripture, please? I want everybody to see this. Paul starts off this sentence and says, and we know that God, 
works all things for the good of those who love him. Does anybody love God this morning? Amen. Do you know that God is working all things for your good today? You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Everything in your life is Father-filtered. Think of a water faucet that's in your house, whether it's the kitchen or bathroom. There is a filter right at the spigot where every bit of water flows through before it comes out of that faucet. It's the last thing that protects you from getting any type of germs or bacteria. It's there. Now they're selling these new kind that even do more filtering that you can put on there to your faucet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So you don't have to buy bottled water. You can put the filter right there. Everything in your life has to flow through God to get to you. You may think that sometimes your life is out of hand, that you don't know what's going on, and you may even then project what you're going through onto God and think God must not know what's going on. He's not a good God because why would he allow me to go through this? But I want to put your mind at ease and your heart to trust the loving God because verse 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him him there is nothing in your life that's flowing through into your present day situation that is not already father filtered it has had to go through the father there are no accidents in his kingdom he has this thing on lock everything is father filtered when you go through trials and troubles and tests those are father filtered when you have payday and you're happy and you're taking all your friends out to eat that's father filtered all of your mistakes all of your failures all that you have gone through has been father filtered everything and he's working it for good according to those uh, those who are called according to his purpose let me read the full verse. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You can reject God's purpose for your life. God will not force you to do what he wants you to do. Write this down if you're taking notes. There is the perfect will of God and there is the permissive will of God. God has an absolute perfect will for your life. But you can sin against that will and get into what's called the permissive will, what God will allow you to do, but it's not what he wanted you to do. But now let me blow your mind. He still knew you were going to do it. But he didn't take the choice from you. So let's just walk through this real slowly right now. When God commanded the Israelites, do not commit adultery. He meant do not commit adultery, do not worship false idols. When they began to worship false idols, he did not strike them dead and not permit them to do it. He allowed them to be idol worshipers. He gave them his perfect will. He said, don't be idol worshipers. But when they turned their back on him and began worshiping idols, he allowed a permission to be in their lives. There are some people that teach that God is deterministic in all that he does. Everybody say deterministic. These go by the name of Calvinists. They come from a teacher named John Calvin that in the 
time of the Reformation, 1500s, he began to teach that God, after the fall, eliminated free will from man. So after Adam and Eve fell into sin, mankind no longer has free will, and God determines who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. I compare this kind of picture of God to Hitler. Hitler chose the Aryan race and treated them well and then hated the Jewish race and then tortured them and put them in gas chambers. This type of false belief teaches that our God created some people for the express purpose to burn in hell forever. They don't have a chance of being saved because God won't let them be saved. They don't have a chance to go to the blood of Christ because they believe in something called limited atonement, which means when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't want to waste any blood, so the blood is only for the believer. Are you all tracking with me? Demonic doctrine. Demonic. So that the blood of the cross is limited in its atonement. It's only for the believer. And those who are going to hell, God not only doesn't love them now, he has never loved them. You would say, Pastor, what about John 3.16? And obviously that's the scripture everyone always brings up to a Calvinist. Some of the famous Calvinists today are John Piper and Paul Washer and, and uh, John MacArthur, and they write these books and they convince people of this demonic-based doctrine. It comes from the pits of hell. One of the more new recent teachers of it, the rock star of Calvinism, Mark Driscoll. Some of you might have heard of these folks, and though they be Christians, they believe in an augmented, a distorted version of our God. So you would say, what about John 3.16? For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They would say the world is only the ones God is wanting to save. The rest of them are already damned. The Calvinists cannot sing this song and mean it. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. They can't sing it and mean it. If you think, Pastor, you've painted them in a bad light, they couldn't possibly believe such a doctrine. You look it up. You do your research. I won't keep you here today wasting God's time and God's people uh, with nonsense. But I want to tell you this because I see a disturbing trend among young pastors like myself who are being drawn into this philosophy of men to try to describe why some go to heaven and some go to hell. This is a lie, and it's not true. The early church didn't believe it. Jesus didn't teach it, and the apostles certainly didn't believe it. But then somebody might say back to us, they may say, Pastor, well, then how do you describe that if God has everything Father filtered, that some go to heaven and some go to hell? Because isn't that really a big question of unbelievers, that if God loves us so much, why would he ever send anybody to hell, right? That's a question. Or another question that we would get is, if God already knows that some are going to hell because they don't want him, they're going to reject him, why would he ever create them? Why not just be merciful on them and not let them ever be created at all and only create those who would choose him? Are you all tracking with me? Well, the answer to that is right here in the book of Romans, and we don't have time to go through it all, but we can see here in verse 29 the answer to this question. Everybody say foreknowledge. 
Today's message in our series is God foreknew me. God foreknew me. All things work together for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Everybody say the word foreknown. Think about what that word is in our English language, foreknow. You know something before it actually happens. Our God created us to have a loving relationship with him. And think about today yourself and being on this planet. What are the two things that you value the most about your life? Think about this. This is a deep question. If you're created by God, which we believe, think about the two things that are inside of your innate nature. They're innate to you. That means they're just so normal you don't even think about them. I believe there would be two things that you really value in life. Everybody look up at me, please. Two things. Number one, your identity. You value your identity. If someone tried to say, you're not Jim, you're not Lily, you're somebody else, and try to change your identity, you wouldn't like that. I mean, think about that, right? Brainwashing, we, slavery, all of these hideous things we see all are about changing someone's identity because in life we value our identity. What's the second major thing we value in ourselves? Freedom. We value the ability to make our own decisions, choose what clothes we want to put on. That's why when you are raising a teenager, the big battle you have between them and the parent is that ability of freedom and their identity. Because what they're becoming is an adult. They're beginning to say, I want to be like this. But the parent's saying, I want you to be like this. And that is good parenting. But you see, all of us go through a stage as we grow and develop about who we want to be and how we want to live, our freedom and our identity. Are you all tracking with me? God made you with that in his image. You see, God is free. God can do whatever he wants within logical possibilities. God will never do something illogical. God, sometimes the people ask the question, can God make a rock that's too big for him to lift to carry. No, because that's a logical absurdity. God doesn't do logical absurdities. Somebody says, can God tell a lie? No, because God is not a liar. That would be a logical absurdity. Could God make a square circle? No. Are you all tracking with me? So we have in us an image of God because we want to be free and we want to have identity. God has his identity. He has his freedom. He made us this way. Now watch what happens. And I'm going to play a video. It's going to summarize all of this deep theology. God then created you with that to make your own identity and choose your own path. I was talking to the person that was putting in cable into my house about God. And he had a problem with hell and, and the story. And I said, let me ask you something. Would you want me to lock you in my closet right now? <laughs> it's like a little weird thought to tell the cable guy. Lock you in my little closet right now. Didn't know how weird that would sound until I said it. That sounds like really weird. But he said no. And I said, would you want me to brainwash you to believe something that you didn't want to believe? He said no. 
And I said, why would God then force you to go to heaven and believe that he's the Savior and the Lord and all of that? The greatest thing you treasure as an atheist is the gift God gave you. The gift God gave you is you determine who you want to be and where you want to go. And whenever people in our life challenge that, you know, they take away our freedoms or they brainwash us, that's the thing we fight against the most. But why would God ever violate the very thing he gave you, the ability of identity and the ability of freedom, and say, now you come with me? And the problem with the Calvinist way of thinking is that they say that God has irresistible grace, and that means the people he wants to be saved don't even have a choice. That would be like me going to my good friends, David and Monica, saying, hey, do you want to come over to my house and have some lunch? And they're like, no, we're kind of busy. I'm like, you're coming. You're coming whether you want to or not. And then we handcuff them and drag them there. And he would, of course, beat me up in the meanwhile, but we're already in make-believe land, so let's follow me. And I chained them up, and I put them at my table, and I said, aren't you having fun? They would look at me like I was crazy. Well, that's the way the deterministic person thinks, is that God is going to force you into a place of salvation. And the way they get around this idea is they call compatibilism. To be uh, compatible with your free will uh, from the illusion of your choice and God drawing you that you'll somehow want to do it, that God will talk you into it in such a way that it's, it's really something you'll want to do. But still... If you look at it, you don't have a choice. What we're learning here is that God foreknew those who would choose him. Let me give you another deep thought before I play the cool video, okay? God was able, before he ever created you, to know who you would be past, present, and future because God stands outside of time. You ever heard the song, he has the whole world in his hands, he's got the world in his hand he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in it he's got you and me brother he's got you and me brother in his hand he's got you and me sister in his hands he's got you and me metro in his hands he's got the whole world in okay <laughs> he's got the whole world in his hands Watch this. Matter, space, and time. Matter, everything that is a thing, is part of matter. Space is what matter takes up. Time is when it exists. Matter, space, and time. He holds it all in his hands. Matter, space, and time. So if this circle desk up here was all of matter, space, and time. And when we talk about time, past, present, and future, and everyone's life, he holds it all in his hands. As long as God has known himself, which is forever because he's an eternal being, he has known about you. There has never been a new thought in God's mind. There has never been something that God has learned. No one has ever instructed him or taught him anything. He has always known what he has known, and there's never been a time he didn't know it. This is why he's our God, and he's not a statue with a big belly at a Chinese restaurant. Are you listening to me? That's what we talk about here. Our God is not like the gods of this world. He doesn't come here and play Green Lantern with you in Batman. He holds the whole thing in his hands. And when he holds everything in his hands, he's able 
to do what we have to now call logical steps. But he's able to grasp it all at the same time. These logical steps would be how he's going to do what he's going to do. Though he's always known that he's going to do what he's going to do, he does these things in steps, and he creates the, the sun and the moon and the, you know, the next day of creation. So we can participate with him. And when we get to heaven, let this, let this blow your mind for a little bit. What do you value? Now we're talking about entertaining and fun. What do you value when you say fun and entertaining? You value relationships. You love spending time with the one you love. Are you all tracking with me? You love adventure, doing fun things. And it might just be going on a bike ride. Others of you, it's skydive. We love to also learn. Track this with me now. So when it comes to what we love to do with our free time, we love we love relationships. Some of us could just be with our kids or our wife or best friend all day long. We love adventure. We, we love the idea of doing something we've never done before or something that just, just gets us high on adrenaline. And what else do we love? We love learning. Some of you just love to read books. You love to go to museums. What is heaven about? See, some people think heaven is just one long bass fishing trip or whatever you guys like to do in life. Whatever you, It's just one big time where you get to be Michael Jordan and slam dunk all day long. And we, and we talk about heaven like it's things on this earth. We talk about heaven like, I'm going to get up there and, and I'm going to be able to play ball with Michael Jordan and I'm going to go fishing I'm going to do all this stuff. But think about this. Why is it we want to put things from earth up in heaven? What if God could say this to you? All the adventure you get from watching basketball, I'll give you times a thousand just in my presence. You won't need a ball and a metal rim. You'll have it just standing next to me. What if he could say, you do sex, you have time with your wife and all this, but I can give you intimacy deeper than a physical attraction. You don't need any of that. Just be in my presence and I will blow your mind with the depths of love. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to go to school. Be in my presence, and I will teach you things you know not of for all of eternity. That's who our God is. He's mind-blowing. Are you all tracking with me today? Come on, somebody. He's worthy of worship, is he not? Hallelujah. When we get to heaven, because we are in time, so we haven't always existed, though God has known about us. When we get to heaven, imagine, and heaven comes to earth, the Bible says, the new earth, it, it, there's a time of judgment, Armageddon, and then we will rule and reign here because what was lost in paradise is gained in Christ, okay? So it does come back down to here. But just imagine you're in heaven, right? You now have all of eternity. No time ever exists now. He's done away with time. He goes, I just did time for this amount of time, but now we're back in eternity type of being where you have no ending because there was a time when there was no time. You all tracking with me? So he says, I'm done with that time thing. We're in eternity now. And you go, okay, what are we going to do? And you walk up to God and imagine you having this conversation. And God says, okay, I can take you on an adventure of what I have been and all the things I have done for eternity going backwards. And you would say, oh, my goodness, take me on that adventure. And you travel with God through eternity past, understanding who he is, just being in his presence. Use your imagination now. And you never reach the end because eternity past never has an end. And so at some point you're like, man, that was fun, God, but now I want to know you in the future. And he goes, okay, let's now go into the future. And you go into the future. And while you're in the future, God can then say, do you want to know me now in the present, what I'm doing right now? Past, present, and future in eternity, you will be with him at all times, never away from him, having him fulfill every part of you.
and learning, loving, and experiencing him like you never have before. Isn't that amazing? But he gives us a choice. Now, let me tell you how this works right here. For God to logically create free creatures, everybody say free will. For God to enable you to have a choice, that means he had to know what choices you were going to make. So he doesn't learn anything. The choices you're making today are not something he's learning. He's like, oh, angels, they like, you know, they have this for lunch, and they like this, and sometimes women, they make, they change their choices a lot, you know? And it's not like God's up there like, angels, oh, keep up with this one, you know? She's changing her mind a lot, you know? And I, I just remember, uh, well, I won't even get into that, but I was going to go there, but it would be way off there, and, I, and it probably wouldn't be a good thing to say anyway. Okay. So God's not learning by our choices. Everybody tracking with me, right? But he logically allows them to happen because he's creating a free will agent. So God is so awesome that he knew he would create you being free and the decisions that you would make being free, and he is able to craft and develop a purpose based on your free choices that still give him glory, and if you take his perfect plan, it will be good for you, and if you don't take his perfect plan, he has a plan to destroy you, but it's by your own choice, and it will still make him look good in the end. So now here it is. It's not fatalism where it's already settled. No, you're making these choices every day by your own mind, your own decision. It's your own choice. He's not forcing you to take any choice. He is not damning some of you, and he's not loving the others of you. He loves all of you, and he already has a purpose for you, his perfect will. And if we would look at that Hitler example, he had a perfect will for Hitler. But Hitler did not want that perfect will, but God permitted him to be as crazy as he wanted for a certain time. And then he died, and he's in hell now. Are you all tracking with me? God, when he gave free will, allowed men to become what they wanted to become with their freedom. If they wanted to be a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mother Teresa or a Billy Graham. However, God has always foreknown it. And those that he has seen that choose him and are serving him today, we can take confidence that he's predestined us. That means he's given us a destiny in him to bless us because he already sees the future and the future looks good. He's called us and he's given us that calling to fulfill that destiny. He's justified us. He's given us all that we need. And he's going to glorify us with his presence in heaven. Now, the deep theology behind this becomes really simple. Do you know what God's plan is for your life? That's the theology made simple. Turn with me to Psalms 139. Verse 15 and 18, this video will come. It might be my closing video. But I have a video that said it in five minutes. And I thought I was just going to talk and then put it up. But man, I'm preaching right now. Help me, somebody. Here it is, Psalms 139, 15. When you are there, please say I'm there. Amen. I want, to, I want you to see this from David. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. How many know abortion is a sin? Why is abortion a sin? It's a sin because it's murdering children. When do you become a child when you're formed in the body? That's when you become a child. Uh, breaking the skin barrier does not make you a child. 
Uh, people who commit this kind of sin are murderers in the eyes of God. The good news is God loves murderers and will forgive you if you're here. We've had women that have had them and they have been forgiven. But I want you to understand, you are a murderer. If you have killed a child, if you've been a part of it, sir, if you've asked your girlfriend or wife to do it, you are guilty of murder. When people say we want pro-choice to do with our body whatever we want, why is it after they kill the baby, their body's still alive? Because what they're doing is that not to their body, it's to another body, and we call that body somebody, and it's a child. Amen? Scriptural evidence for that is that God's a part of the forming of the body as well as depositing our soul. That's what makes us different than animals and why I love to eat animals. Anybody like to eat animals? Amen? If you're a vegetarian, that's okay. We'll pray for you. we got a separate altar call for you guys. But we believe in eating meat around here. Amen? Out of cheddar and all this good stuff, sausage, pizza, pepperoni, come on. I mean, anything you can think of that can be cooked up well, if it is, if it is an animal, I will eat that thing. I'll eat a rabbit. I'll eat a squirrel. I don't care what it is. I will eat it. I'll eat little sea creatures. I'll eat, I'll eat a bear. If you put a bear in front of me, I'll eat a bear. Would you eat a horse? Of course I would eat a horse. Of course I would eat a horse. I would eat anything. that If it was cooked up and served a cockroach, I would eat it all. I saw these people eating little things. Come on, some people in Mexico, you know what I'm talking about. What is it? No, it's crickets. And I'm like, I just offended a whole bunch of people. No way. In some places in Mexico, they eat the grasshopper, right? Bring some of that. I'll eat that grasshopper. I'll eat whatever you put in front of me that's cooked. I ain't going to be gross and nasty, eating weird stuff. I'll eat balut because it's made a certain way. Come on, the half, half duck egg. I will crack that thing open, chew on a beak. Anything you can think of, I will eat. I, I will eat it. I think that, I know what you're going with there. Now, I've eaten that on a taco. It tastes good. I'll eat a spider. I'll eat everything. I don't even know how we got to what I'll eat. There's only two things that have made me sick after I've eaten them, and I said, oh, dear Lord, I can't eat this again. One of it was in India, and Ricky and I still don't know what that was. But it blew me up hard and fast. It blew me up. I was like, give me the keys, man. I got to go to the room and puke this thing up. And his hands were all dirty because we were eating with our hands. And he's like putting his pocket like this and keys. It was all weird. I had to dig into his pocket. Like, forgive me, brother. And I couldn't even make it to the bathroom, man. I started puking all in their bathroom. Down. It was nasty. And then one time I was just being all bold and crazy eating sushi. I was like, let me have this, let me have that. And there was something, once again, I don't know what it was, but it blew me up quick. I think it was sea urchin, if anybody had that. But I love sushi, but it was just something that just blew me up. Going back to this psalm right here. <laughs> Going back to this right here. Is that God made us, amen? That's what that means, God made us. And we are special to God. Oh, the reason why we eat animals is because they don't have a soul. That's why. They feel pain, but they can't contemplate pain. They, they, they may have some kind of an identity, like I'm a dog and I'm barking, but they don't have the kind of identity we have. Like we can build relationships with these people, uh, with people, not with an animal, unless you're weird, you know, and then you become a cat person, and that's okay. We pray for cat people. Amen. <laughs> How many more people can I offend in this service? No, I'm kidding. Cat people are nice. They're nice. Okay. All the days. Here we go. Verse 15, second part. 16. Your eyes, form, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
Wow, listen to that again. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The beauty of our God is that he's a master chess player. Master chess players can think four and five moves ahead because there's only so many possibilities that that player can move. God doesn't have to make you move anywhere in life, but he ordains a path, and he knows you only have so many choices. And so he wrote out a book for your life. And if you love Jesus and you're here today, you can take confidence that God has a perfect will for your life that is good. So the way I like to look at this is you need to go to God's book. Now, it's not the Bible because the Bible teaches us about how to understand our lives, but the book that this is talking about is the book that God the Holy Spirit knows. He knows the will for your life, meaning your name is not found in this book and the day you're supposed to have a job and all of that. Does everybody understand? This is not your autobiography. So how do you get in touch with this book? Through the Holy Spirit. God. What is your plan for me today? Not the plan that I'll do against your will and you'll allow me to do it and send myself to hell and hurt others. No, what is your perfect will for me today? What will please you today, God? What is the things that you want me to do? And look at this, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The writer of this psalm said, if I was to count out all of the thoughts that God has for me, to bless me, to prosper, prosper me, if I was to go to the desert or to a beach and pick up just one handful of sand, there could be millions of grains of sand in my hand. Are you all tracking here? If I were to start counting those grains of sand, one, two, three, and then go to the next handful. I mean, think about how many grains of sand there are in the earth. The writer of Psalm says, his thoughts for you outnumber those grains of sand. You are no accident. And God's foreknowledge of you is here to bless you to give you a hope and a future. Just to reference it, Jeremiah uh, 20, 29, 10 through 12, this is what the Lord says. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I know somebody might say, well, pastor, that's just talking about Israel. Israel is a type and a shadow of God's chosen people. He's saying for all those that call upon him, he has a hope and a future for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you success. Then the Bible says, verse 12 in Jeremiah 29, 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. It says, then you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Does anybody here want to seek God with all their heart? He promises that you'll find him. Does anybody need to discover their purpose in life today? You can ask him and pray to him and he will answer you. He has it written in his book for you. He cares about you. He loves you. John 3.16 still means what it says. He loves the whole world and he sent his son to die for you. He wants you to embrace him today through your own free will. Today I just want you to watch this video and I'm going to come up and give you a couple closing statements. 
This video is going to now clarify those theological points, those deep things, into a way that you can understand. Everybody go, three, two, one. Three, two, one is this. Three is God created you for a relationship with the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. As the Trinity is one, God created you to be one with Him. Not, of course, sharing the divinity, we're humans, but to be in that relationship with divinity. The three stands for the Trinity. Two stands for the two Adams. The Bible talks about the first Adam. He was created, but he sinned, and he made the wrong choice. Paul then said in Romans that Jesus came as a second Adam born without sin. Adam, the first one, was born without sin. The only one to be born again without sin was Jesus. That's why he had to have a virgin birth, to be born without sin. Adam, without sin, chose sin and brought damnation to us. Jesus lived without sin, then became the perfect salvation, the Savior, the sacrifice for us. Three, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Two, the two Adams. You identify either with the Adam of damnation, your choice to stay in sin, rebelling against God, or you identify with the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is your Savior for those mistakes you've made. And one is the choice that you make today because you're one person and you're precious to the Lord. Amen? Would you start that video? Three, two, one. Three, two, one. The story of God, the world, and you. 3. God is three persons united in love. In the beginning, there were three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, one God who is an unbreakable unity of three. A triunity, or trinity. The trinity is not a maths problem or an ancient riddle. It's the good news that God is love. Forever, the Father has loved his Son in the unity of the Spirit. How do we picture this? Well, the Son of God is the image of God. He gives us our window onto God's life. So, for instance, picture his baptism. There we see the Holy Spirit descending on him while the Father declares, You are my Son who I love. With you I am well pleased. That's a snapshot of God's eternal life. The Father has always been loving his Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit. But this love was too good to keep to themselves. The God of love wants to share. And so the Father made a world through his Son and by his Spirit because he wants billions more children to join the family. You and I were made to hear his verdict. You are my child who I love. With you, I am well pleased. The meaning of life is to find our place in the three. Two. The story of the world is the story of two men. God placed one man, Adam, at the head of the world to bless it and care for it. But through mistrust, Adam turned from God, turned in on himself, and plunged the world into death and curse. It was a cosmic fall from grace. Now we all share in this broken humanity, and we feel the curse of this broken world. The human race is like a Christmas tree that's been cut down and wrenched from its natural habitat. We might dress ourselves up in fancy decorations, we might perform all sorts of good deeds, but we're perishing. We have no spiritual life in us, and we're headed for the rubbish dump. The race of Adam stands under God's condemnation. God has pronounced an eternal no to that way of life, because he wants something very different for us. He wants us all to find true life in a second Adam. Jesus Christ. At Christmas, Jesus came as a man. 
He entered into our broken world and took up our lost cause. Like a champion who wins the contest for us, Jesus stepped into our shoes and lived the perfect life we could never live. Then on the cross, he died the cursed death that we should die. He summed up Adam's nature and curse and took it down to the hellish death it deserves. But three days later, he rose again to a new life beyond death and curse. And he invites us into his life and into his family. One, you are one with Adam. Will you be one with Jesus? The human condition is Adam's condition. As chips off the old block, we share in his selfishness, his death, his disconnection from God. One with Adam, we have no life in ourselves and no hope for the future. But Jesus comes to offer a stunning oneness with himself. Like with the Christmas tree, we can be snipped out of the Adam tree and grafted into the Christ tree. Or think of another picture of oneness. We can be one with Jesus, like in a marriage. Imagine a marriage between a prince and a pauper. She's filthy and poor with a shameful name and a hopeless future. Yet the prince loves her and offers himself to her in marriage. As soon as they're united, what happens? He takes all her debts. She gets all his riches. He covers over her shameful name and gives her his name. She's invited into his life, his family, his inheritance. Through her prince, she can call the king daddy. And all because of their marriage union. It's just like that with Jesus. If we receive him, all that is ours, our sin and curse, becomes his. He pays it all off on the cross. And all that is his, his righteousness and inheritance, becomes ours. If we're one with Jesus, right now we're adopted into the family. We have his spirit as our spirit. We have his father as our father. We belong to his brothers and sisters in the church. We call on the same Father and hear his love spoken to us. You are my child who I love. With you I am well pleased. These are our privileges now. And when Christ returns, we will also share in his physical, immortal life. He will raise us bodily and set the world to rights. On that day, God will judge the world, forever confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Christ. You are one with Adam, but there's no future in that life. And with arms outstretched, Jesus makes a proposal. He offers you himself, his very life, his family, his future. He's yours if you'll have him. Be one with Jesus. The three invite you in. The two determine the world. Will you be one with the Son of God? Come on, let's bless the Lord for that. Amen. With the few moments that I have left, I want to give you a few notes, and then I want to encourage you with this one more time. I'm going to give you five purposes all of us share in common. Number one, we share the purpose of salvation. God has a purpose and a plan to save us. John chapter 3, verse 3, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And John 3, 16 says he loves us all. 
So John 3 teaches us to have the purpose of salvation. The second one is, is we're all supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 2, all the way to verse 38, talk about when we are saved and born in our spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to give us dunamis. In the Greek, the word there is power, but it's dunamis in the Greek. It sounds like our word, dynamite. He wants to give us explosive energy. The third thing, Jesus wants all of us to do is to be perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. That means to live a life without sin. 1 John 4, 8 says those who are born of God cannot continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot keep on sinning. And we don't do that in human effort. We do that by the salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in us. We believe that. Fourthly, God wants you to have a blessed family where you call home and where you lay your head and who you are sharing that life with right now, the intimacy you have there or the lack thereof, God wants to bless. Ephesians 6 gives us the order, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ does the church, and children obeying their parents, and then all of us together in humble submission one to another as unto Christ. And then lastly, God wants you to have a purpose in your job. Whatever you do for your career, what you find that passion in. The Bible talks about in the book of Genesis, that uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, that he created Adam not just to be in the garden and do nothing, but to there to till the land, to name the animals, and to have a purpose with himself and, and God. Are you all tracking with me? salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit, sanctification or living holy to be able to have your purpose on your job and in your family. Now would you go back with me to Romans chapter uh, 8. And if, and if I had more time, I would tell you that what you've heard thus far is just the what? Introduction. And I'm not kidding. Literally, this is the introduction because now I want to preach this passage. But I had to say what I said so that you could understand. And I pray this week you'll start preparing your heart for the messages this month. Amen? And I think some of you have already been blessed. Can I hear another amen? Amen. Look at Romans chapter 8, 28 through 39. I'm going to read it without interruption. And I want you to put all together what I just shared with you. And see if this encourages you today and also challenges you. Here we go. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that, we might, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword that is written. For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, knowing all these things, 
things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Amen? I believe that. I believe that today. I believe that God foreknew that I would choose him today and he would see my life to the end. He will see your life to the end. Take a few moments right now and write down some of the issues that you're facing in your life that are the biggest concerns to you. Right now you might be facing financial trouble. Right now you might be going through a relationship issue, marriage, family, at home. Some of you may be dealing with low self-esteem, depression. You might be having self-doubt. You might not believe that there's a plan for you anymore. You might be doubting God. You might be dealing with a spiritual battle. Just, would you write them down right now if you can or put them in your phone? Because in closing today, I want you to tie in this verse to what we just talked about. Maybe there's something in your life you just got through, but yet it's still lingering. Maybe you're still feeling the effects of it. Maybe your past is in your present is what I'm trying to say. And you just can't seem to get over it. I want to encourage you with this as the band comes. Jesus loves you and is working all things for your good. If you never would have faced the situations you're facing today, you would never have the chance to know God in the way that he wants you to know him today. We don't rejoice in trials and tests because the trials and tests are so awesome. The person who just lost their father, like Berto, he doesn't rejoice in death and say death is so great. But the Bible says rejoice when you face these kinds of trials. Why? Because it's for the strengthening of your faith. Berto knows God in a way today that I don't know God. Why? Because he lost his father. And the only father he has... It's his heavenly father. He's, have, he's having to trust God in a way that I've never had to trust God. And he can look at that situation in his life and he can say, God, shake his fist. Why? Why did you take my dad, God? I don't like it. Couldn't you give him another year? And he can miss the good that God is doing through this situation. Or when he, lose, he lost his father, as he did, he cried out to God. And he found a scripture that said, though my mother and father forsake me, you'll never forsake me. And that doesn't mean like they'll stop feeding you. But the forsaking means at some point, I'm going to leave Bethany and Hannah if, if life lives its course out. Are you, are you all with me? I'll be on a deathbed one day. And Bethany and Hannah, my two oldest, will probably be around me. And they'll come to me and they'll say something like this, what Berto said to his dad and what people have said to their loved ones. It's okay, Dad. You can go home now. Imagine that, Bethany being 40, 50 years old. I'm 80, 90 years old. And she's holding my hand and she says, we're all here now, Dad. You can go home. When Berto said that to his dad, he then went to his heavenly father and he said, you're all I have here. 
I don't have an earthly father to go to and receive advice from anymore, to go throw the ball in the backyard with anymore. My father is not here anymore. So that trial and test, he now sees God in a way that those of us who have fathers don't see God right now. Because when I need advice, I can always call my dad. Are are you all with me? Some of you have gone through so much pain in your life. And and you, you always try to figure it out because you think figuring it out will make you feel better. Like, why did I get abused when I was a child? Why did I have this kind of upbringing? They say the greatest problem that comes from abused children isn't the physical abuse. You know that the body will heal. It's the mental abuse. And the children have a way of blaming themselves for the abuse they suffer. I I counsel so many adults with problems in their life. And when we get down to the root of it, it's because somebody abused them. Somebody hurt them. Somebody didn't teach them love and purity. And they don't know how to give it or receive it. And they look for it in the wrong places. And you might have gone through a time like that. And you're saying, why, God, why? I mean, if you foreknew this, couldn't you have stopped it? And God is saying, I am showing you something about me through the midst of your pain you never would have seen otherwise. Story of a woman, she was a prostitute in the Bible. She ran into where Jesus was eating. She had a valuable uh, a thing of perfume worth a year's wages, worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars in our money. And she ran over to Jesus, busted it on his feet, started putting it all on his feet. She took her hair, started wiping his feet with tears. And people stood around her and they mocked her and they said, "Look at this woman, Jesus! Why are you letting her do this?" And Judas, even that that betrayer of Christ, even said, "What a waste of this money." And you know what Jesus did? He told a parable. He said, if someone got forgiven of a million-dollar debt and someone only got forgiven of a dollar debt, which one do you think would be happier to the person that forgave their debt? The one that only just said, hey, you owe me a buck, don't don't worry about it, or the one who says, hey, your mortgage, don't worry about it. Which one is going to be happier in response He said, she has sinned much and has been forgiven of much. That's why she loves me so much. If you had been through what she had been through, if you had seen life the way she saw life and received grace and forgiveness and mercy the way she received it, you would be on your hands and knees washing my feet. And you see, some of you, you want to hate the past. And yes, it is despicable and there's wickedness there. But God has filtered it for your good so you can love him like nobody else can love him. So that you can be close to him like no one else can be close to him. You are going through things so God can draw you into him and to love him. He didn't make robots. He could have. He could have made us like SimCity. 
the video game where you create your own city and you create your own people and you live in some little make-believe world. He could have made you do what was right. He could have made your dad do what was right. He could have made your child do what He could have made us all do right. But we never would have known love. Robots don't know love. Sim City doesn't know love. But he made free creatures. And here was the cost of making free creatures. People will hurt a lot if I make them free. I mean, you could almost hear the conversation between God and the angels. God, so how are you going to make them? Are you going to make them like robots so they never disappoint you, they never hurt each other, and they always do what's right? No, because they'll never know love. But you could see the angels almost speak back to Jesus. And this is fictional, but just track with me. The angels speak back to Jesus. Yeah, but they're going to hurt each other. But Jesus would say, but not more than they're going to hurt me. Because I'll die for all of their pain. Isaiah 53 says on the cross, Jesus took all of our sorrows. He is the only one that when you cry out in prayer, that he can say, I know how you feel. Because when the Son of God went to the cross, God the Father took all past, present, and future pain, all sin, all sickness, and laid it on Jesus. Why? So that he could say, I love you. See, if, if you came here today and you were hurting and you didn't have nothing and you were naked or didn't have clothes, and I said, I love you, but go on your way, you would say, no, you, you don't love me. But if I gave you clothes, if I gave you something to eat, you would, you would say that, that that's showing me you love me. God in heaven could have just shouted down if he wanted to. He could have just said, hey, guys, I made you free. And you, whoever chooses me, you know whether you're going to come to heaven. Those who don't, you go to hell. And hey, guys, I love you. I love you so much. But it wouldn't have meant the same. What does he do? He comes down into an earthly nature. He puts on an earth suit like we would put on a space suit. And he walks among us. He feels rejection. He feels pain. And on the cross, he says, I know exactly how you feel. And I'm giving my life for you. Dead so that you may live. Cursed so that you may be blessed. Forsaken that you may be accepted. And that scripture says all things work together for good. So that means it doesn't matter what you have faced or the tears you have cried. There is a purpose through that pain. And it starts with Jesus. And it ends with Jesus. And everything in between is painted by the blood of Jesus. It's all about you and him today. Share that journey with Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and give him praise. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Come on, praise him like you mean it. We love you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Lord. Come on, some of you feeling Jesus right now. You just need to thank him. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Come on, 30 more seconds. I feel a spirit of praise in here because people are getting set free. We love you, Lord. Come on, we love you, Jesus. We love you, God. There's nobody like you, Jesus. We worship you for who you are. You made us free creatures in your image. And though we rejected you, you came and died for us. Though people have hurt us, you're using those hurts and pains for your good, for your purpose. Nothing will prosper against your purpose. Nothing can separate us from your love. Hallelujah. I am loved by God.
Come on, would you confess that I am loved by God? Come on, say everything has been Father filtered. I trust you, Jesus. Everything has been Father filtered. You are with me, God. You are with us, Jesus. We will see the good through what we go through. Altar workers, would you come? Hallelujah. Everything is Father filtered. Would you just keep your eyes closed a few more moments and just think about what you've been through? Everything has been Father filtered. He is so good. He could have made us robots, but He didn't. And if anybody has hurt the most, it's been Him. Oh, but we can love Him today. Oh, in our identity with who we are. He doesn't want us to be like our neighbor. He wants us just to be who we are and love Him. To make a choice. To say, I trust you. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm letting God move a few more moments before you come to an altar worker. I know some of you just, if I said come, you would come right now. But before I have an altar worker pray, would you just pray between you and him? It's all about you and him today. Come on, some of you just need to say, God, help me get over the past. Help me to stop looking at what the devil did and missing what you did. The Bible promises you it will work for good. There is hope today for you. Oh, yes, God, yes. Come on, just a few more moments. Thank you, Jesus. Some things are going deep right now. Some things are going deep right now. Everything is Father filtered. Father, as we get ready to dismiss, I just ask you to bless your people today. And I pray this month that we'll go back and study those scriptures, that we'll trust that you are in control and you're working things for our good. And God, we will bring somebody back here with us because they need to hear it too. God, this is what our city needs to know. You have a purpose for them. In Jesus' name, can we say amen and bless him today? Hallelujah. Come on. If you need prayer, our altar workers are here. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you at Life Groups. Have a great week. I'm loved by you. I'm loved by you.